Hello and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Amanda Decker is a certified family nurse practitioner. She graduated from the Vanderbilt School of Nursing in 2005 and has been practicing in primary care ever since. Not only that, but beginning in 2017, she has been emphasizing the attainment of metabolic health through carb restriction. She is, a certi- she is certified in advanced education from the Obesity Medicine Association, is SCOPE certified by the World Obesity Federation, is Low Carb USA certified. She's also board certified in ketogenic nutrition by the American Nutrition Association and is certified as a metabolic health practitioner by the SMHP. She lives in Dixon, Tennessee with her family, where she also practices medicine. She's committed to continuous learning and progression and can be found on Twitter at Decker Less Carbs. Amanda Decker, what a pleasure to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Yeah, thank you, Casey. Um, you told me something interesting before we got started that you um, were actually born in the same town that you live and practice. Is that right? Correct. You must Correct. be a homebody. <laughs> well, um, I live on a family farm, so my family raises Black Angus cattle, and the farm's been in my family for almost 100 years at this point. Uh, so my passion is and my heart are in the same place. Wow, that's amazing. Do you do a lot of active work on the farm? It doesn't seem like you've got a lot of time to do much else <laughs> other than what you do professionally. Yeah, most of the work is done by my parents. Um, They do most of the cattle work. I really get involved more if they just need help or if they're on vacation. Like this week, they've been in Florida. So my son and I have been checking cows after work in school and making sure the farm's okay. Wow, that's great. So the cows don't get a vacation? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we had to reschedule this appointment today um, so that you could help out during your hospital during um, COVID outbreak. And so, first of all, just want to say thank you for everything you do. And then, man, what's the situation like over there? Yeah, so um, right now in Middle Tennessee specifically in my area, we are on a uphill spike with our COVID cases. Um, it was, it started probably about two weeks ago. We saw a gradual increase. And then Sunday, actually, of this week, we just saw a dramatic spike. Um, and in my practice, we're a multi-specialty practice, but we have a walk-in clinic that most of our acute care patients go to. Um, and we've been doing all of our COVID testing of respiratory type symptoms through them. And those providers just got overwhelmed um, quickly starting on Monday. So I took, this is Friday, typically my day off. So I went there on my day off to work and working some extra weekends. Like I'm working tomorrow as well, just to try to help with the patient overflow. Uh, Cause man, the, it's hard. It's hard when you are used to seeing a certain number of patients and all of a sudden your volume triples overnight wow. and you're just trying to accommodate the needs of the community while stay insane. So yeah, it's, it's been up and down, but right now we're in one of those uphill spikes that are, we're just trying to hold on tight and uh, keep going day at a time. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I had a family member who was in the hospital recently for a procedure and he had to be placed on a, let's see, what was it? It was a trauma ward. And these poor Mm -hmm. nurses are like getting yelled at by crackheads and meth heads and like trying to go from room to room to help people. And you can tell they're just like tired. They're just tired. What a year it's been for healthcare workers. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I know at our practice, so we had it at one time we had like a mobile testing clinic open to where patients would pull up, call in, and we see all of those patients at the car to try to keep sick people away from uh, just patients who might have like a sprain or strain or something that is not COVID related, trying to, you know, reduce the spread as much as possible. And most of the time, most people are very understanding because they see us running back and forth between the cars, just trying to get to patients. But sometimes you do get those that are just aggravated that they've been there for an hour and just like, I'm sorry, we're doing, we do the best we can. can." Has anybody left the, uh, the field, the industry uh, of, of healthcare just because they're just so burned out? Oh yeah. You know, I don't have any of my, all of my close friends that I'm with are still in healthcare, still going, but I know here at my organization, we're struggling to find nurses. We've had several nurses that have left. I don't know if it's specifically due to COVID or if it maybe is COVID and they have to be home with their families, but we're having a hard time replacing that staff. There's just not the pool, uh, not getting people in for interviews, not getting people in to accept jobs. And a lot of jobs are moving more to at home, like telenursing uh, where they can make more money than they can, than we can offer as a small practice or a smaller practice. And so um, 
Yes, I see people leaving the field and I'm also seeing us not being able to hire back, just putting even more strain on us to try to keep up with the demand of people needing to be seen. Wow. That's so crazy. Well, uh, again, thank you. We do consider you guys heroes for everything that you've done for us over the years, and especially through this pandemic, which has been so, so challenging. You mentioned nursing in particular, and I'm, I'm, this is really fascinating to me. Can you tell us the difference between a nurse and a nurse practitioner? Yeah, for sure. So uh, most people are pretty familiar with a nurse, even though a nurse can wear a million different hats these days and has a lot of broadness in their scope. Um, But most of the time in the hospital, it's the person who's by the bedside delivering most of the patient care, um, acting on the physician's order, the provider's orders. Um, We also have like home health nurses, school nurses that are providing direct care under order sets of a provider. Uh, So a nurse practitioner is a nurse who has then went on and got advanced education. Most of the time it's a master's degree. There's some of us that have doctorates that have a master's in nursing, but we then function as the provider, almost like the physician was functioning originally. So we can write orders, we can carry out orders, we diagnose, we treat, um, usually under the direct supervision of a uh, physician or in collaboration with a physician. But, um, you know, basically I'm doing everything that my collaborating physician is doing. I am seeing the patients, I am diagnosing the patients, I am prescribing the care, I'm doing the patient education So it just took the nursing level to the next step of being able to kind of function in both roles. Wow. That's awesome. It kind of seems like a, almost like a standing stand between in between the two, but it sounds like you're doing so much of what a normal physician would be doing. (laughs) Yes. I would say, you know, most physicians don't necessarily do a lot of their own education unless they've moved into a health coaching role or some other type of role in addition to their physician practice. But in, in my practice, at least I'm doing a lot of the education and the provider work at the same time. Gotcha. So you started doing this in 2005. What would a normal day-to-day look like for you? Do you see just a wide variety of different things or was it kind of like a a specialty thing that you would see? Yeah, so that's evolved over time. Uh, When I first came out in practice, or I'd say probably the first uh, 12 years of my practice, it was a traditional primary care practice where I would see any of your chronic conditions like diabetes, hypertension, um, cholesterol issues. And then I would see some sick visits and some things like urinary tract infections. So it's kind of a broad range, but all within the scope of what a general practitioner would do. Um, you know, I, at the, that part of my practice, I'd probably see 15 to 20 patients a day, roughly just kind of in that role. But since I changed over to DMA and started practicing more um, metabolic health. So I'm about 50-50. I have 50% of my clients are still general practitioner type things. So still your diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol. And then about 50% of my patients are what I consider more metabolic health and weight management. So those patients I'm working with health coaching, lifestyle modification, um, checking them back regularly about every six weeks. And so I've got about 50% when I'm using a different part of my brain, my health coaching, my cheerleader brain. And then the other side is more, um, what I call chronic care management or disease management. Um, and some of those patients that were my primary care have developed on into weight management and metabolic health patients, and they're getting better. And then some of them are still in the state where no, just kind of give me a pill and check on me make sure I'm still doing okay. And, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of variety and definitely evolved over time. Um, before, yeah, sure. yeah, that's great. Before 2017, um, I'm curious, like back then, what was your favorite part of the job and what was your least favorite or maybe like most frustrating part of the job? <laughs> hmm. You know, I, I am a people person. I think my most rewarding part of the job was just getting to know families. And that was a, a cool thing is you would see the parent and the child and the grandparent and the aunts and the uncles and start making all of these connections and just getting to know the family unit and support them in different areas of their disease process. Uh, That was my most favorite thing and still is something that I enjoy. I still see a lot of family units. Um, My least favorite thing and what eventually led me to my practice change is I just couldn't make anybody better. You know, I went into healthcare to make people feel better, to had this idea that I was going to cure people or put them on the right path to health. And it just wasn't happening, you know, unless they were coming in for a urinary tract infection, I wasn't making them better. (laughs) And it, It just led me to a point of burnout. And, you know, I was kept going through my head of 
do I want to change and do a specialty? Do I want to change and get out of healthcare altogether? Where, where am I at? And it's like, no, I, I want to still make people better. I want to make them healthier. I want them to see the other side of this and how, how do I do that? And so that was my least favorite part in 2017, but it kind of propelled me into the direction that I'm going now. Yeah. It's just such a common story from you doctors, like really, really wanting to help people and especially people in your own community that you've been your entire life. It, it would mm-hmm. be so frustrating not to be able to see some of those changes. I'm also curious, like how was your own health at that time? Are you experiencing any health issues yourself or mm-hmm. you pretty good? Yeah. So in general, I've, I've always been a, fairly healthy person. I got some issues, but I guess my story would probably start as a a teen. I was a very, I was an overweight teenager, preteen. And moving in from teenagehood to early adulthood, I did the typical teenager, you restrict yourself down until you get to the size that you want and you exercise like crazy. And when you're 18 to 20, that works okay. Um, (laughs) But then as as I got older, it was harder to maintain. So I always have had to work really hard to maintain the weight that I wanted to. Mm. So I did have also psoriasis. I've had psoriasis since I was five. Um, Knowing what I know now, I really think that has to do with a lot of the environmental and foods and things like that, that were, that I was exposed to before I was born and as a young, young child. Um, So I guess that was one thing that I worked with that for me and my health, it was really the psoriasis and having to try to maintain my weight. And up until, so I had my son and my son is 12. I had him in 2009. Uh, and I had still, I'd been through another period where I'd, I had struggled with my weight and was probably back up to my highest after that, after I had him. And it took me about four years to lose that weight. Um, so yeah, at that point in my practice at 2017, Let's see, 9, 10, 11, 12. I had at 2017 was when I was looking back and saying, well, what did I do to get healthy? Mm. You know, how did I lose that weight? How did I get to this point? And it's like, well, you know, I restricted my sugar and I res- cut out all grains and starchy things. And I just focused on eating meat and veggies. Mm. And it kind of sent me down this rabbit hole of, well, if this works for me, why did it work? And how can I make that happen for everybody else in my practice? So. Wow. So how did you come across that? Is that something that you were studying or did you just kind of logically think through um, the the foods that were in your diet and what you needed to cut out? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say it was kind of a a logical type thing. I went back kind of thinking about, um, you know, my great grandparents. I was very fortunate to know and get to know four of my great grandparents um, before they passed away. I was probably, I think I was 16 when I lost my last one, but my great grandmother would always say, girl, I need too many biscuits. or you're going to get back, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stay away from those cookies here. I'm going to feed you a tea cake, but don't eat too many of them. I mean, they, they, they knew if you ate too many of the starchy things that you would put on weight. And so that's kind of, I thought, well, that worked for her. Why don't I try it for me? I've done the calorie restriction thing. I've eaten very low fat before. Let's just try to remove some of these starchy things and focus on eating real food um, and stop eating things out of packages. Wow. They were so much more wise than we were. We've lost. (laughs) Weren't they? (laughs) And Just keeping things simple, just, you know, observation and applying it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But after, after I lost that weight, it was more the deep dive into trying to get my hands on the science of why does this work? Um, and, you know, listening to some great guys, like on the low carb MD podcast and reading Jason Fung's book, um, and several other books and, you know, the art and science of low carbohydrate living, things like that, the deep dive of why it works. And then it made sense to me. What was that like? That must have been just amazing um, to come to these conclusions on your own intuitively and then discover like this whole world, like almost like underground, like just just barely like out of sight that that was like so obvious and so there, but but not like what was that like for you? Yeah. Yeah. So one, it was amazing to have the community support and know that I wasn't alone in my thinking and some crazy wild person just going off the deep end. But more than that, I was frustrated. I was so frustrated that, you know, I'd made my way through Vanderbilt University, a very good, you know, university, well-respected. I'd been practicing for however many years at that time. I've been giving people this advice for so many years and it was just not right. 
it just wasn't right. And then, you know, the whole guilt gets in there of, I've been telling my patients just eat less and move more that this is all your fault. And why can't you get things straight? And, you know, that typical standard advice that most um, providers give at some point. And so frustrated that I wasn't given the right education, even though I was at a great place to get education and frustrated that I had, I felt like I'd let my patients down uh, for so many years. And thankfully, some of them were still my patients and some of them sought me out because they loved me, even though I'd moved around different practices and I've had chance at redemption, redemption with a lot of them. Um, but yeah, it, I think that was more what it was, just a, a pure frustration. And then on the flip side of that, happy that I've made it to the other side. And I, I got a long time to retirement, so I've got a ways to go to help people from here. And Hmm. So I'm curious, like I, 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 this is probably purely speculation, but I'm curious to hear what your hunch is. Um, what, why do you think it's not taught in institutions? There is a lot of this information out by now. There is a lot of studies and these studies, a lot of them are not new. What, why yeah. do you think it's not more widely accepted in some of these institutions and taught? Yeah. Well, I can tell you from when I was in school in 2000. 2005, whenever it was, I was in nurse practitioner school. I really don't remember having a nutrition course at all. There was little bits and pieces of it. Like in our cardiac cardiac lecture, we were told to, um, you know, restrict fat and help people lose weight by counting calories. But that was the extent of my nutrition education. So one, I think there's just so much illness and sick care that we're having to put into our students that there's not a whole lot of time for healthcare prevention and knowing what keeps you from getting sick in the first place. We're having to teach so much how to help people when they're already sick that we're not learning the how to not get there. Uh, and so there's kind of this misconception or overall misconception that if you're going to get sick, no matter what, I think that attitude is, is kind of there, mm-hmm. but how we got there, I really, I think it goes back to a lot of the American guidelines um, and to the bringing in processed foods and trying to, I mean, I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but I do think that big food companies probably have done more damage to our health than big pharma has (laughs) just because of the way it has steered our dietary guidelines. And it continues to be that way. Um, So it's hard to go against the grain when the grain has been said, this is what it is. And if you don't follow it, you're not practicing good medicine. Yeah. Wow. It's just so sad because it's all so preventable. All these chronic diseases really seem like they can be attacked. I think my opinion in some cases reversed and and at least have better outcomes or never get to that place. Anyway, they could be like your grandparents. I'm sure they were old and kicking ass, you know, and perfectly healthy (laughs) for a long time. Right. Yeah, my great grandfather lived to 96 and was riding a bike up until 93. Um, I had one of my other great grandfathers. I don't remember exactly how long he lived, but he was in his 90s when he passed away. So it's, you know, they were very active people. And when I look back at them now, the things that that strike out to me is one, they didn't really eat three meals a day. They were two meals a day type people. They didn't snack. So they routinely had kind of time restricted eating, but that was just how it was. They were physically active because they were all farmers and they didn't have farm equipment. So they moved a lot and all of their food was created in their own home with whole food products. And I didn't say that they didn't have like pies and cakes and things like that. They did, but it was created in their own home by hand and not having a lot of things in it that we do when we go pick up a pie at the grocery store. Mm, That is so true. I just installed a bike computer for my 91 year old grandpa who rides (laughs) every day. He he zipped it around the block and came back bragging that he was able to go 15 miles an hour. (laughs) It's so awesome. Yeah. It was just so much joy. Um, But it's kind of the same thing. Like they don't eat a lot of food. They don't, I don't think they eat more than two meals a day and it's, it's not maybe like the exact best quality or the, the very best diet, but, it, it they, they've controlled you know they don't have chronic disease it's it's amazing it's so cool yeah mm. yeah but you know what scary case is right now i have a big group of elderly patients on my primary care side of things and the elderly patients today are falling more into not that same pattern <laughs> because they're eating you know peanut butter and crackers for breakfast or a cookie for breakfast oh. or 
you know, it's all processed food. I see their protein levels. I mean, they're pushing it if they're getting probably 25 to 30 grams of protein in a day. And I just see sarcopenia or muscle wasting going on. And it's just the, the none of them or not, I'm not saying none of them cook. I'm just seeing this pattern of where more and more is just give me a package to open and eat it. And I'm seeing their health decline as well. I mean, we really, I think if we want to get back to health, we have to get back to kind of what our elders were doing 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. I, yeah, I, that's, that's right. And it's interesting too, because those same people have probably been nursing chronic diseases for 40 years before getting there. Wow. Very, very true. Wow. So how did you start to make changes with some of your patients? Like what were from some of the first steps that you decided to try? Yeah. So at first I was very cautious because all I had heard up until that point was things like Adkins is bad. And that's, that was the mainstream. If you're doing carb restriction, no matter what kind of carb restriction you were, you got lumped into Adkins and keto and all that was bad. Um, and I was a little fearful if I started charting that I was telling people to do this, that I was going to get kicked out of my medical group or something that it just was going to be bad. And I took a minute. like, wait, I know this is not bad because I've done it for myself. At this point, my husband had joined along with me in this. I'm seeing what it's doing for us. So I have to get it out to my patients. I can't keep doing them a disservice and letting them stay in this pattern of health that they're in. So I started a little bit on the down low. I'd say at the end of that diabetic visit, you know, let's talk about the things that really make your sugar go up. And when you, you know, you know, sugar does that, but what else does it? Well, you know, when I eat breads and when I eat potatoes and things of that nature, it goes up. I'm like, well, why don't we try to stop that? Well, let me just see if we can stop those things and see if our sugar gets better. And then people would come in for um, and complain about gaining weight. I'm like, well, you know, I lost weight by cutting out a lot of my starchy things and trying to eat more real vegetables and less of the things out of packages and breads and things. And so I started to see people make changes and implement of it and their weight start to go down. And it just kind of built from there, um, starting to become more brave and saying, all right, we're going to go on a low carb diet, or I want you to go on a keto diet because here's the science. I have these articles now that says this is safe. And I have got clinical guidelines from uh, the SMHP and low carb USA, put them out as well. That says it's safe and you have health conditions that could benefit from this. So let's give it a try. And so it's just kind of baby step, put my feet in the waters and then built from there. Wow. That's so cool. What, what was it like? Like, how did you feel when the first patients started coming in and they started seeing improvements after, you know, being in practice for 12 years, what was that like to see that? <laughs> you know, I, I definitely remember the first time that I actually got to take someone's medicine away and I was blown away. I was like, no, I've never removed a medicine that I started for a chronic chronic disease, but you obviously need it because your blood sugars are normal. You don't need this anymore. Um, and it was just, it was almost like a high. It was a good natural high of, wait, I can really help people get better and they don't have to live with that disease anymore. And, you know, to give them the power to say, I have this condition, but it's not me and it doesn't have to be me in the future and I can fix that. Um, man, it was just, it re invigorated my practice and made me want to keep going and has made me want to continue to grow my practice and take bigger steps and leaps of faith to do that. That's so cool. I'm doing a happy dance over here. Like it just sounds like so much fun <laughs> <laughs> to be able to see these outcomes. I'm, I'm curious yeah. too, like, was there, were there anybody that you can really remember that didn't take a really good crack at this and didn't see improvements? So you mean that they, they really went all in. They did everything that I said and didn't see improvements whatsoever. Yeah. Have you ever seen anybody like really try and just like fail? It didn't work. Hmm. Not completely. Um, no, now I have, let's see how's the best way to answer this. So there are some people who their metabolic health is in such a state that it's going to take more than a minute for them to kind of turn it around and see improvements. So they might have to make the changes and live in those changes for several months before they really kind of start to see it. And if you, part of that is, you know, coaching the patient to not quit, not give up. Um, I've had, I have a, a patient recently who's kind of a good example of this. Um, a gentleman came in because he's already had one leg amputated. He's not diabetic, but he has peripheral vascular disease. 
one leg amputated, the other leg looked like it needed to be amputated. I mean, the leg looked scary, uh, you know, had a wound on it, multiple wounds on it, oozing red. I couldn't feel pulses in it, but he was sitting here by his orthopedist because he needed a knee replacement in his leg and he couldn't because he was um, too obese to have the knee replacement. Um, <clears throat> he hadn't weighed in a long time. He weighed over 400 pounds. I don't exactly remember exactly how much he weighed, but we, we took waist. I always take waist measurements, neck measurements, things like that when they come in. And he was um, practicing a juicing diet, more of a vegetarian-based diet at the time. And I was like, well, this is not serving you. Let's change it. And he said, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I've got to get better. If I don't, I'm going to lose this leg. And I can't walk right now because I can't get my knee replacement. And I need to lose this leg. You know, he was just, it was a hot mess, basically. And he knew it. And he's like, I'm desperate. I was like, well, go keto. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I want you to go keto. We got to get weight off of you. We got to get off now. So six weeks later, he hadn't lost a pound. Hadn't lost a single pound. He's like, I'm so frustrated. I don't understand. I'm doing everything that you're telling me. And I sleep better and my clothes fit better and my leg looks better. I'm down to one wound instead of four wounds. And I can now feel pulses in the bottom of your foot. He lost five and a half inches around his waist, Casey. Wow. How this happened? I don't know how. I don't know where. Why the pounds didn't come off? The five and a half inches, and he sleeps better, and his clothes fit better, and his leg has shown improvement in just six weeks. So, to answer that question, it's a long roundabout thing. But no, I've not. I have not seen anyone who has done everything that I say and had absolutely no improvements. It may not be the improvements that they think they're going to have right off the bat. It may not be the improvements that they are wanting right off the bat, but there are improvements there if they're doing it. Wow. That's so amazing. What a cool story. I mean, if you had a pill that could do, you know, it would improve your life somehow, maybe not as much as you think, maybe more than you could ever consider or imagine, like everybody would take it. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. And for the listener, like if you have not seen a diabetic leg, oh my goodness, it is, you can't unsee that. If you've watched um, yeah. Vinny Tortorich's documentary, Fat, um, talking yeah. to Dr. Gary Fetke, and they show a scene and you, you can't like cringe away fast enough because it's like happening. And it is some of the gnarliest scene. I, it's, it's one of the gnarliest scenes I've ever seen in my life. So yeah. th- if that alone doesn't scare you into changing some of your habits. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so scary. I'm, I'm curious to hear, like, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be like a major one, but just the first one that comes ahead. Some of your other favorite stories from people that have really changed their lives. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I wrote down a couple before this podcast because um, I think stories stories make it so much make it so much more real. But um, I have a lady. She's 74 years old. She has diabetes. She's had diabetes 30, 40 years. Um, before I was her primary care, like probably 15, 20 years ago, she had a different primary care and she had done a low carb diet and had gotten herself off of her insulin, off of all of her treatments that she was on at that time for her diabetes. And her doctor told her at that time, you have to quit this diet or you're going to have a heart attack. You're going to kill yourself. <laughs> the fear mongering that was there, the woman had just gotten herself off of all of her insulin and all of her diabetes medicine. But because this provider who was not ex- very well educated on this, and I get it 15, 20 years ago, there was even more fear about keto than there is now. So she quit the diet. Guess what? She ended up right back on all of her insulin, all, all of her other stuff. In that meantime, she also developed, or she was in a car accident and had a traumatic brain injury. Um, and so she has some memory loss some balance issues and some things related to that. Well, she, I had been seeing her for a couple of years and she's like, Amanda, I'm just frustrated. I just, I don't want to be diabetic anymore. I have, I hate taking all this insulin. I hate taking all this medicine. I don't feel good. And I was like, well, why don't you try keto? She goes, well, I did that. And my doctor told me I was going to kill myself. I was like, you're not. It's like, just go do it back again. So within a month, she was off her insulin again. She was off three of her other meds. Um, she's lost 27 pounds. But she's also seeing cognition improvement. She's like, I can recall things that I couldn't recall before. I'm not as anxious. And my kids tell me that I have a more clear brain and I'm not as snippy with them. All because she went back on this keto diet. I'm like, man, had she not ever been taken off of and had this traumatic brain injury, would she have even had all of these issues to 
deal with because, you know, ketones are also a alternate fuel for the brain. And when you go through a traumatic brain injury, that brain injury is using all of that sugar. So you got to feed, feed it with something and feed it with ketones. So her story just blows me away because yes, she's had diabetes for a long time, but just by changing her diet, she's been able to get off all of her insulin and almost all of her other medicines, even though she's been diabetic for years. Wow. Think about that in the context of quality of life, not just for mm. her, but for all of her loved ones that would have had to take care of, you know, a cognitively declining parent. Like that's so hard. Mm-hmm. What an amazing thing to add so much quality of life to somebody, you know, in their declining years. That's so cool. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Exactly. All right. So let's talk about Bruce because Bruce is right now my poster child. And you, I don't know if you've seen me on Twitter or not, but I've been posting about Bruce and there's pictures of him. He's given me permissions to share that. So Bruce is 59 years old. He has congestive heart failure um, and is on a lot of medicines. Um, His cardiologist referred him to me for weight management because he said, you know, we've maximized your own every amount of fluid pill that I can give you there's nothing else I can do unless you lose weight. It's just a steady decline until you die. So this is, this is what you got. So he came to see me. And I remember leaving that first visit, looking at my nurse and saying, I don't think this is going to work. I don't, I don't feel like he's into it. I think he thinks he's too far gone. I don't know that he wants to change. It's like, I just, I don't get the good vibe that this is going to be the the hit patient. And he would probably tell you the same thing. Cause he kind of looked at me and said, uh, okay. Afterwards, <laughs> <laughs> So that was in November of 2020. I am happy to report that Bruce is now down 99 pounds since November of 2020. He is off three of his diuretic medicines. He's had to buy multiple sets of new clothes and he can breathe. That first visit when he came to see me, he could not walk from my lobby to my exam room, which is all a flat surface and wasn't very far of a distance without having to stop because he was short of breath. He told me that um, last month, <laughs> get a little emotional with this, last month he met his high school classmates um, on our downtown Dixon. And he's like, I could walk Main Street up and down that hill and I wasn't short of breath and I didn't have to stop. That. <laughs> I mean, that's the stuff that makes me happy. That's the stuff that makes me come back to work every day. That makes me want to stay late and finish my charts and do whatever because Bruce has changed. Bruce is going to live longer. Bruce is happier. Bruce, Bruce can breathe. I mean, <laughs> man couldn't breathe before and now he could breathe. And so, you know, it just, it amazes me, but it also still makes me so mad because earlier in my career, there's so many of my patients who died because I didn't know what to tell them. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Bruce, we love you, man. So proud of you. So proud of you for deciding to make a change. That is amazing. So thank you for your example to the rest of us. And thank you, Amanda. I mean, that's, those are amazing stories. These are people, these people have families and lives and there are neighbors and friends and family. And like, it's so impactful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these are everyday people. These are not people who have a limited amount of wealth. Um, You know, they're, we live in a small rural town, if these people can do it, anybody can do it. You just have to put your mind to it and don't overcomplicate it. <laughs> wow. That's so amazing. I was always impressed. Like if I was working with somebody directly, I would always be really happy if they, you know, they took my advice, they got some good results. Um, you know, I, I would commonly use like diet doctor, uh, meal plans, which by the way, like how amazing is diet doctor as a resource? Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. We use them all the time. We're actually testing out their, uh, diet doctor pro membership that they have so that I can be able to offer it to my patients, full access to the diet doctor, website, um, to print out meal plans and things like that. Um, so and they're cool. hoping to grow to add even more, like some coaching connections and things that I can go through that diet doctor per website. Yeah. That'd be amazing for the listener. Like to sign up as a member, it costs like 10 bucks a month. Like I've mm-hmm. been signed up for years and it's such an amazing resource. I send yeah. anybody over there, but so anyway, yeah. it would be cool to like, like work with somebody directly and they would see good results and whatever. But then like, even if somebody didn't take my advice, maybe their wife would or something and she would see results mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. somebody, somebody's kids would try it and they would get really good results. And, it, and that was like really unexpected and very cool. And I think that same kind of thing yeah. happened around your house. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, it started with me just trying to get my 
weight where I wanted it to, um, manage it where I wanted it to. Uh, and then it kind of bled over into my husband. My husband has a family history of diabetes and um, his triglycerides and things were a little bit elevated. And it's like, you know, we eat pretty healthy, but why don't you try this when I'm trying to? And when he got on board and it lowered his triglycerides significantly and the two of us were doing it together, that's when I really could get in my groove and get very consistent. So being as a family unit, a husband, wife, or spouses or partners or whatever, if the household can do it together, it makes it so, so much easier. But then it was after that, you know, we would go to family functions and be like, well, y'all never eat anything or what can we feed you or whatnot. It's like, look, we're doing this for our health. We'll bring our own food if you have to, or if we have to, don't feel like you have to feed us. But then it went on from there. So my husband's father is, um, has diabetes and was on multiple, multiple medicines. And it's like, I need, something's got to change. I'm not, I'm, I'm wearing out too soon. I'm getting worse. I'm not getting better. And it's like, all right, well, let me give you some things to read and let me tell you how to eat. And if you try it, I promise you things will get better. So guess what he did. And he lost a significant amount of weight and his sugars are better controlled than they have ever been. Um, my mother-in-law has had a stroke and she has kind of, because she does the cooking in their home, she started cooking in the same way, similar way that for him or cooking for him, I should say, and she's eating that food. And so she's seeing some weight loss that happens. Um, my parents, both my parents, my mom had just crossed over the threshold into diabetes. And after a while, she's like, you know, I don't want to be diabetic. I saw my aunts have to inject insulin four times a day. I saw my mom pass away of, um, Alzheimer's disease and strokes. And she goes, I don't want to be that person. I want to be here for my family and my grandkids. I was like, all right, mom, let's go. Let's make these changes. Um, and she did. And she's lost about 30 pounds and is not taking any diabetes or cholesterol medicine at this point because she changed what she's eating. And same thing with my dad. My dad is, um, had was had a high elevated calcium score and we've got our fingers crossed that our next one is going to be regressed and not just stopped but he's lost quite a bit of weight too about 30 pounds and my sister struggled with IBS and migraines and said I would really like to not take medicine I'm like okay well let's work on these things let's try to remove grain let's try to control like your carbs and get you a little bit in ketone get you some ketones going for those migraines and except for during certain high hormonal points of the month for a female she doesn't really get as many migraines and her gut is not bad unless she goes out to eat and has some foods that she doesn't normally cook at home I'm seeing it happen with my older brother as well um, he was having some gut issues and just saying okay why don't we try removing some grains and restricting some of these things that are very inflammatory and he's like I don't really want to I really like my pizza it's like well do you really like not hurting <laughs> <laughs> and so he removed them and he doesn't hurt. It's like, why do you have to know what you're talking about, Amanda? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but it started with the change that, you know, I made to work on my health and it went to my husband and then my in-laws and my parents and my siblings. And I'm hoping it continues to, to branch out from there because I tell you, my parents are some of my biggest advocates and have sent me more patients than probably anybody else in Dixon County. They've referred more people to me just because of people can see how they've changed and they're like, here, go see my daughter. She knows what she's talking about. <laughs> it's awesome. That's so awesome. That is so awesome. You just named like 20 family members with 80 different conditions. <laughs> well, and you know, I mentioned earlier about my psoriasis that I've had psoriasis since I was five. And I blame a lot of my health conditions on that. So when COVID hit, I was on a medicine, an immunosuppressive medicine to get rid of my psoriasis because I had it in my scalp, in my ears, arms, legs, multiple parts of my body. And so um, I was on immunosuppressant. I was under pretty good control. I'd have an occasional little flare here and there, but I got, I was already low carb, but I got really serious. And I said, I got to get off this immunosuppressant. I can't let a pandemic break out and maybe on something that compromises my immune system. So I went 100% grain-free, so no more any of the cheap products like the keto breads or keto wraps on occasions or things of that nature that I would include from time to time. 100% grain-free, uh, went off the meds, and so far, unless I'm extremely stressed, I'm psoriasis-free. During a really high stress point, like when I was creating my new building and had a whole lot going on, 
Um, I got a little bitty patch on the back of my shoulder that quickly went away. And if it does flare up, I can go carnivore for a week or two and it seems to just really knock it out. Mm. That is one of the things that surprised me the most was the gut issues and especially the skin issues. Mm -hmm. I I could not believe that you could clear up skin issues, lots of different skin issues by just cleaning up the diet. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You see it remove acne is a big one that responds very well to dietary changes. Um, Rosacea, I've seen that improve with the dietary changes as well. Wow. That's so cool. You mentioned carnivore and you seem very practical and pragmatic about using it as a tool without getting Mm -hmm. really dogmatic about it. Can you tell us a little bit Mm -hmm. about um, the way we should be thinking about a carnivore diet? Who might be a good candidate and how long they may need to be on it? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I use it a couple different ways. One of my favorite group to use it in are the people that come in and tell me I just eat meat, eggs, bread, and potatoes. Like, really? That's all you eat? They're like, yes. I was like, well, I only have a couple things I can cut from you then. <laughs> <laughs> and so they do really, really well on a carnivore diet because they still eat their meat and their eggs kind of things. But I use it a lot in my um, autoimmune condition patients. So uh, people who have like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, psoriasis, I consider that an autoimmune condition, fibromyalgia. Um, and even if you're concerned about different allergies, I'm like, well, let's try this as a elimination diet. Basically, you're getting down to the bare bones of what your body has to have to live. Um, you know, your amino acids and fatty acids and protein, basically. So let's do that and see if things get better. Um, and so I also that's one of my big places to use it. Another place I use it is if someone is really struggling to get their hunger under control, um, like obsessively thinking about food, things of that nature. Sometimes I can get them to go carnivore for a couple of weeks and for them, it just kind of triggers. It like shuts the brain off. They're no longer thinking about it. And I think it's to get that protein really high and they get a withdrawal from any of the processed any types of foods that are out there. And it just really helps to shut down those hunger hormones that are there. Um, I use it as a cyclical tool for a lot of people too, to kind of break through some weight loss stalls as well. So if we'd been kind of low carb or keto, and we've kind of stalled out and we're not quite to goal, we might switch to carnivore for a time period to try to trigger that weight loss to come on board. And then if they want to bring back in veggies and things slowly, we can do it that way. Mm. That sounds, yeah, very practical and pragmatic. I I just tend to do better when I stay strict on it. It just, for me, it just eliminates all the other options. Like this is my food. All this other stuff is not my food. So it just keeps it really simple. But I I understand people would not want to be on it forever. What are some of the safer plant foods that people would think about bringing back? Yeah, so when I start bringing black... bringing back plant food that had a lot of bees in it right there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I usually start with like an avocado, something that is a um, high fat still, but pretty low inflammatory for a lot of people. I'll bring back lettuce, squashes, um, cucumber without the peel. I'll bring that kind of back in at first. And I usually tell people to bring it back a step at a time. So like add back your avocado first, or if you don't like avocado, bring back a squash first, like a zucchini basically. Um, And then bring back your cucumbers and slowly, I try to save like nightshade vegetables, like tomatoes and peppers and things like that until the end, because those are kickers of inflammation for a lot of people. Gotcha. Um, I also wanted to ask you about all the certifications that you have along with your own my alphabet soup I got going on there. Oh my gosh. It, yeah. It was like the whole introduction was she's certified in this. She's certified in this. She's certified I'm in this. You, when I decided to dive in, I dove, I dove head first. And I think some of it was, I had a little bit of a complex being a nurse practitioner. I felt like I was kind of um, not disenfranchised, but I had to prove myself a little bit more than someone who might have an MD behind their name. So I just kept going. that's awesome which ones were some of the more helpful ones Hmm. all right so um i actually really enjoyed becoming low carb certified through low carb usa and the smhp Uh, most of that education came through the nutrition network which is tim noakes foundation that kind of thing um it was invaluable information as a practitioner absolutely hands down it was amazing um The advanced ketogenic nutrition specialist forced me to read more literature as far as diving into the science and knowing that every single thing I do has scientific backing um, and where to go pull that backing from, you know, be able to show people, point people to to research. Um, Now, I can't name off the names. I have them in files broken down by like body part or 
disease illness so I can pull them from there because I'm not very good at remembering all that very many studies at one time. Um, so I guess they've all given me different things, Casey. My very first one, the Obesity Medicine Association one, it was more, um, it was broad. And I think one of the big takeaways that I took from that was being very, learning how to be cautious in the way that I speak to patients. And not that I haven't always been cautious, but obesity is such a emotionally driven topic. Um, and it has, it carries with it so much weight emotionally, not just physically. And if you're not very specific or not very careful in how you word things in a patient um, encounter, you might lose that patient right off the bat and they're going to tune you out from the very beginning. And so that's one of the big t- takeaways I got from them that then probably the, the education I got from Nutrition Network was my best. Gotcha. Yeah, that all seems like really important and balanced and necessary for, for different things. What a wide array of a skill set that you can use for so many different things and situations. I'm curious, like if, if somebody's listening to this, maybe they are dealing with chronic illness, obesity, diabetes, um, hypertension, things like that. And and they want to they wanna do this. Like this is exciting and inspiring. And you've got all these amazing stories. Um, what, what simple and practical tips would you give to them to kind of like get started? Maybe they're not ready to go 100% very strict, but where, where can they start and where can they, you know, what are some of the low hanging fruit that they can start with? Yeah. Yeah. So one, I would say don't complicate things. Um, if you start deep diving into the internet and trying to count macros and look at all the products that are out there, it's just going to get so confusing. So don't complicate things. I would start with trying to just stick to whole foods. If it looks like it came off of God's animal or off of his earth, off of his plants, then it's probably good for you. If it came out of a factory, it's not so good for you. So that's kind of where I would start is just trying to remove a lot of those processed packaged items. If that seems too much, start with one meal. Can you make breakfast carb free? Can you just have eggs and meat for breakfast? And then can you work on your lunch and then maybe you can work on your dinner. So take it a step at a time. But the biggest thing is just don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. If it's meat, eggs, and non-starchy veggies, you're good to go. Mm, That's a great tip. I love that. I think once you get some of those smaller wins, people will be more motivated to take another step, another step, maybe a bigger step down the road. Um, But yeah, keeping it simple. Yeah. So, so important. Um, Curious to know, what are you working on the future? Um, Anything (laughs) coming up? Well, I just moved into a brand new building. So I was practicing in a clinic with a, another provider. She was a pediatric provider and it just wasn't conducive for growing um, a weight management practice. And so I purchased a building and remodeled it and it's now DMA Weight and Wellness. And we're welcoming more and more weight clients every day. But our, our goals are to add health coaches, um, dietitians, and hopefully eventually in the future and exercise therapists I have an area in the back that's kind of a big garage. I'd like to put a gym back there so that my patients can come in and work with a therapist to learn how to start exercising in a chair and then how to, you know, start increasing that. Because it's very intimidated to walk into a gym. If you're 300, 400 pounds, it's going to be hard to just walk in and say, let me add it. But in the privacy in the back of my clinic, they can sit down one-on-one and learn some things. So that's kind of my vision, my dream that I'm slowly growing. Um, I'll probably add more credentials to my name at some point. I just got to decide which one I want to go with next. <laughs> <laughs> of course you will. Not enough, not enough letters <laughs> behind your name. Not enough letters. My door's too, not full enough. I got to fill it up all the way. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I'm curious, does, does a facility like that exist? That sounds incredible. What an amazing place that combines so many different <laughs> things together. Does that already exist somewhere? I don't know of one. Um, I don't know of one anywhere. And I mean, I guess some of the bariatric centers have something similar, but they're geared towards surgery. They're not geared towards lifestyle and changing things without steel. Um, I I don't know of one. I know, I think Tro in New York is trying to do something similar. Tro Collision, I think he's trying to do something similar, but his is a cash pay. Mine is all billed through insurance uh, because most of my clients here or blue collar workers that have insurance and don't necessarily have a lot of extra funds to put out on their own. Wow. That sounds amazing. I am taking a trip to Dixon, Tennessee to go check this out. I'm going to eat some of your hamburger and I'm going to visit Give me just a little bit to keep building it. You know, I just got moved in right after the 4th of July. So my practice is here. I've got one of my nurses is training as a health coach. Um, I'm fixing to start advertising for the registered dietitian job. So if anybody's a registered dietitian and is interested in middle Tennessee, let me know. Um, 
So I'm building it slowly. We're getting there. That's so cool. I love that. What a cool vision. And it must be just so amazing to watch it kind of unfold and all the pieces come together over time. That's amazing. Wow. What a fun conversation this has been. We normally ask, um, you know, what's one simple tip you'd like to leave with a listener, but you've already done such a great job giving that, (laughs) that tip, uh, you know, keep everything simple. So I'm going to change the last question for you and just say, what is one thing you're grateful for today? Mm. One thing I am grateful for. Well, then I'm going to say that it is going to be my marriage. I just celebrated 19 years of marriage on Tuesday of this week. Um, he is the best partner I could ever ask for. He is extremely supportive. He's been supportive in my health journey and my professional journey. And he's just that kind of guy that says, baby, whatever you need, you go do it. And I'll be there to help you. Um, he moved to my family farm with me instead of wanting to move to Montana. I mean, he wanted to move to Montana, but instead he decided, okay, I'll keep you happy and move to your farm. So that is what I am grateful for today. I'm extremely grateful for my husband. That's amazing. What a great answer. I did see that post earlier this week. So cute. Congratulations <laughs> on 19 years. Um, Thank you. It looks like you guys have a lot of fun and have a really fun and enjoyable life. And um, yeah, I love that yeah. example for everybody. That's super cool. Well, <laughs> Amanda Decker, this has been fantastic. Where can people go to find you and connect with you and potentially work with you? Yeah. So you, the best place to find me on social media is at Deckerless Carbs. I'm also on Facebook. You can do the same at, at Deckerless Carbs as well. Um, I'm in Dixon, Tennessee. If anybody's in the middle Tennessee area and is interested in getting healthier, has some metabolic health issues they need to work on, my office is in Dixon. That's D-I-C-K-S-O-N, not D-I-X-O-N. Um, just search uh, Dixon or DMA Weight and Wellness is where you can find me. Awesome. That's great. We will link to all of that in the show notes. That that was so much fun. I loved the <laughs> stories that you were telling. I, I, I'm glad they made you a little emotional. They made me a little emotional and they should have. Um, just so, it, it, it's so cool to see people like you out in the world learning something new and really serving the community that you live in. Um, so we're just so grateful for you and for your time. And I know you're super busy. So thank you so much for making the time to come onto our show today. We really appreciate you and everything that you do. Yeah, thank you, Casey. Absolutely. It's been an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.